By them also is your servant enlightened, and in keeping them there is great reward. Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Then shall I be whole and sound and innocent of a great offense.
and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they, then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces in the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word of the Lord. The Benedictus of the Lifet.
filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and the report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your years. Please be seated. Do you remember that song? Um, the gospel is in my heart. Yes, God's name set me apart. This is what I have to do, what I have to do. He sent me to give the good news to the poor, tell prisoners that they are prisoners no more, tell blind people that they can see, and set the downtrodden free, and go tell everyone the news that the kingdom of God has come. God's spirit is in my heart, yes, of me and set me
The calendar year is new, but already we are in the third season of the liturgical year, Epiphany, a time when the church reminds Christians of their duty to spread the gospel. We have a duty to spread God's word. Much has been celebrated religiously in a short span of time. 1st of January it was the Feast of the Holy Name. Though Jesus' name came from God the Father, which means Savior or Deliverer. He is also Emmanuel, God with us, and Christ, the Anointed One or Redeemer. The 6th of January was the Feast of the Epiphany. And from the 5th to the 30th, we were in a novena for the election of a new bishop, which occurred on the 14th of January. And we do have now a bishop elect. On the 9th of January, it was the feast of our Lord's baptism. And today, the third Sunday after Epiphany, the Gospel reading has been spoke for us some most pertinent lessons. Jesus was baptized at the start of his earthly ministry. Almost immediately, he suffered three significant temptations over which he triumphed and commenced preaching and teaching in the northern province of Galilee. Today's Gospel reading highlights three crucial points that I shall share with you. First, Jesus was fervent at public worship. Sorry, he was frequent. Jesus was frequent at public worship. And I read to you Luke 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. It says here in the Luke account, It says here, Luke 4, 15, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Listen carefully, and as his custom was, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
So Jesus was accustomed to going to the house of worship. He was offered up on the eighth day of his life. We celebrate that next month, early in February, I think. The presentation in the temple. Then he was a young old man, he was baptized and began his ministry. Jesus frequented the houses of worship. His parents took him every year, from as little as perhaps one and maybe less, to the temple. Journeying up to, sorry, this is south now, journeying to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. One of those three feasts where all males were required to attend at least once per year. And so he had the training from very early. And then we learn of him at the age of 12 when they went to the same festival. Jesus was so imbued by learning about God, his Father, and the world, and humanity. He sneaked a chance and stayed behind. And when his parents, after going some distance, noticed he turned back, couldn't find him in the crowd. But where they found him, we all know he was in the temple, having a conversation with grown men doctors of the law, and he enjoyed things like that. Some of us perhaps have been like him. In our very early days, we came to church, and sometimes when nobody's around, we would come to church and sit, perhaps admiring the beauty of the altar. Jesus was captivated by the worship of his Father even though he himself was God. And so my friend, Jesus, he taught and preached in the open air sometimes as well. The Sermon on the Mount, for instance, was given in the open air. Like we keep open air services, probably not so frequent these days, but we sometimes do or did. And sometimes, too, he would push out his boat from the seashore, the Nazareth or Sea of Galilee, he sometimes called, and there sit in the boat and preach to the people. But very often, perhaps more so, he was in the synagogue. And we should take note of what the synagogue meant. The temple, the first one built by Solomon, and there were two others, the uh, bit of the same site, the synagogue was basically a house for teaching, while the temple was for worship. We have copied that in that we have the church basically for worship, and we use the church hall for teaching and other activities. Not us alone, but the Muslims as well. They use the, the, the mosque, sorry, for worship. And they use other buildings called madrasas for teaching purposes. And some of these madrasas have grown into colleges and universities, just like we do. Many of us, I believe most of us here this morning, have benefited from schooling, primary schooling in the church halls, which we call government schools are used to because we hardly use them now. 
And I didn't know they belonged to the church until I was about 14, 15. I thought they were government buildings. No. They belonged to the church. Your church hall there, there's the Methodist one below the church, and all over the island. Catholics, Roman Catholic schools, there's one on part of what I never knew it as a school. That one was used as a cinema. And I've been there several times. And then also the Methodists. I went to boy school below the Methodist church in town. And this is a legacy for which we are grateful. These schools have given us the basic of our education rather than the church itself. Because we use the church in a different sense for worship and preaching, and we treat the building of a church quite differently than the language of conduct in a church hall. And this is appropriate. And so I want you, my friends, to continue to treat your church building. It is a building, yes, stone and wood, but treat it with the reverence it deserves. It deserves. You know, there are people who say, oh, Anglicans, they treat the building like it's God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's dedicated to the worship of God. And so you must keep alive the no chewing of gum. And if you do chew a gum or have a mint, some people need it, please put the wrapper in your pocket. I do it. Or in your purse. Don't leave them on, in the church. That's being disrespectful, I think. And your napkin, sometimes you drop a napkin unknown to us. But if you see it, pick it up, whether you drop it or not. or not. It's a house dedicated to the worship of Almighty God. And in many of our churches, Anglican, Roman Catholic in particular, just to enter the building stirs within you that desire to seek after God. And by the way, this lectern should be over there. Should be on the epistle side. However, there are other things that we keep in the churches because there was a time where not many people were literate. In fact, in the early Christian days, some of the ministers themselves were not literate. They read sermons given to them. But times have changed. God has not changed in his character. And let us reverence God. So when you see me rushing in here at two minutes to seven and a minute past seven, forgive me. Because it should be better than that. Come to God's house early. Take a seat and be quiet for a while. It is a house dedicated to Almighty God. Not to me, poor me. Not to Father Chris. Not to the Bishop elect. But to Almighty God. And so when your time comes to clean, the inside or the outside, do it as an act of worship. Worship doesn't always have to be inside of a building. Let our whole lives be a life of worship. And so my friend Jesus, he frequented the house of worship. He certainly went to the temple once a year. I imagine he must have been running to get there ahead of the crowd. And he went to the synagogues quite often. As the text tells you, 
Um, Luke 14, I'm reading the verse above. Then Jesus returned to, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out throughout all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, plural. Synagogues. And being glorified by all. So Jesus was familiar with worshiping in the synagogues. And this, my friend, ought to be a pattern which we copy. Let us, like Jesus, for example, continue to be frequent in worship, public worship, and do not forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. There are persons who are saying, oh, I don't have to go to church. I have the internet, and I have my phone. I could even worship while I'm driving. True. Just keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> but don't forget yourself. Don't forget yourselves. Come to worship. 7 o'clock. I like the challenge. Not accustomed to it. But I like the challenge. I like the challenge. So I would cut sleep from about 3 o'clock. And I hit the bath at around 5, 5.15. Any notes I have to go over, I go over. Because I want to be there on time. When I go to St. James, the same thing. Seven o'clock. That's what I did in Barbados for three years. And I enjoyed it. And believe me, the church was packed full below the campus. Packed full at seven o'clock, St. Stephen's. And the service at nine was less people. So continue, come to church. Doesn't matter who is preaching, we are not perfect. You are worshiping God. The second point I want to bring to your attention from the lesson is that not only was Jesus a frequent worshiper, but Jesus was familiar with the scriptures. He was familiar with the scriptures. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me. And when he got up to preach, do you think Jesus was fumbling to find Isaiah? Taking Isaiah over here and looking here and spending six minutes to find it? You believe so? I don't think so. I believe he took up that scroll and it wasn't something like this, a scroll, and he found it quickly. It must have been a custom. And that passage, my friend, is taken from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And so he got up and read. And afterwards he read and sat. Jesus, my friend, knew the scriptures because he used the scriptures on several occasions both to defend himself and to inspire others. For instance, in those temptations he suffered, he responded with the Holy Scripture. It was the scripture he used when Satan came to him. And this is what you and me, you and I, I should say, sorry, have to do. We have to rely on God and His Holy Word to drive off the evil one when it comes to us. Because He comes with us all the time. Sometimes in open ways, but more often in subtle ways. And so we need to have the Word of God in us as a bulwark, as a defense to rely on God with His Holy Word. 
And we hear Jesus, my friend, not only in the temptation, but we hear him again giving some advice. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, we read, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he gives, which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? And so some persons, not knowing the young Christ, were astonished at the knowledge he had as a young man, 13 years about. But it didn't come suddenly. It didn't come suddenly at all. Mary and Joseph had done their bit. And the temple priests and those assistants in the synagogue had done their bit as well. But Jesus himself had to apply himself. And so my friends, no matter what we teach our children, they themselves have to try to ingratiate the word. Ingratiate the word. The word must be in them and part of them. It's not a nice thing to be um, science techs and mathematical geniuses and to be great at the computer and geography and languages. And when you come to the Bible, you're a dummy. That's not supposed to be. In fact, it should be the opposite. It should be the opposite. Where the Word of God is in people's hearts and minds, you can't learn every scripture heart by heart. Even though in some parts of the world this is still done. In many Muslim countries, the only tool they have in school is a, is a, a Quran. And children in some parts, they have to learn the whole Quran. Something which I doubt, but it is quite possible. If it is quite possible. If we have the time, I could recite several passages from the scripture for you. From this old brain. I can recite them. First Corinthians chapter 13. Paul verses. That was taught. Psalm 1, Psalm 24, Psalm 67. John chapter 1, 1 to 14. These were taught in boys' school. And they're still in my brain cells. Plus, when I got older, I learned a few verses which I call them my own personal verses, and I keep them in my brain, I say that. Sometimes when I have some time in school and I want to tease the children, I would say, you know, listen to this, and so forth. A few poems I know as well. One is called The Strong Man. Mr. Jeffers, how do you remember all of that? Well, I learned it when I was young. Simple. And when you learn to memorize when you're young, they're going to stay there. Alzheimer's may become a challenge, but you could beat Alzheimer's by reciting those same verses. Memory, exercise your brain. So there are times when I sit and having learned the YouTube, I turn it off and I say, okay. And I recite from Genesis to Revelation, call all the books by name. My mom used to do it and used to say, well, my mom know the whole Bible. Of course she knew the books. 
And so my friend, this is good exercise. Just call their name, Genesis to Revelation. It's easy. It might, be, it might seem difficult at first, but repetition, 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 it gets it into you. And there are some poems I still know from boys' school. Can you imagine that? Poems I still know. So my friend, we must teach our young people. We must teach them the word of God. They must know the structure of the Bible. It's basic outline. It's salient tenets. Where do you find the Lord's Prayer? Where, where, where are the Ten Commandments? Two sections. Where could you find a psalm which speaks about healing? Psalm 19 we read this morning is a nature psalm. But of course it has moral issues in it as well. And so my friend, there are times in your life when situations may arise where you need some consolation. Friends come and talk, some with good things, some not so good. Just lie in your bed and say some scripture verses or a section of scripture. And of course, you could hum some hymns or sing some hymns. It is good for the soul. It is good for the brain. Good exercise. Especially as we grow older. So my friend, let us make an effort to become familiar with scripture and teach our children. Parents, godparents, Sunday school teachers, we have work to do. We have work to do. And against all the isms in the world, the knowledge of God's word will do us good in our later years, especially. Jesus, my friend, also with his dying breath, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A quotation from the first verse in Psalm 22. And so Jesus was familiar with the scriptures, and in this sense, he teaches us something good. We should know the Bible. You don't have to know the Bible like a pastor or some um, university theologian, but know the basic structure, know the books, what they, what they teach about. You can find your way around and help others as well. Some years ago, I listen to one of these um, competitions on, on TV. I'm sure that's about 20 years also. And the lady, the questions were supposed to be answered in, in series of three. And so this lady, she was about 40 something, she was asked, what is the first book of the Bible? Genesis! She knew the answer. Second question, what's the last book in the Bible? Revelation! She knew the answer. Third question, what is the first book in the New Testament? I'm up to know that lady hasn't answered the question. The mirror. And I felt so embarrassed. Even though I was only watching through television. How could someone in a Christian world not know the first book in the New Testament? But these things happen. People have to be taught the scriptures, taught the word of God, so that they can comfort themselves sometimes and be a comfort to others as well. The Old Testament lesson is also very instructive. When the exiles had returned from Babylon, 
They were longing for the word of God. And notice the reading. The people came to Ezra, the priest and scribe, and asked for the word to be read to them. And so Ezra arranged for them to assemble in the, we may call it the town square. And from morning to midday, there was reading. <laughs> Most of us would have walked off, wouldn't it? Long time. But they read the scripture, they were hungry for God's word. They read from morning to evening. He didn't say which book they were reading from, but he says the book of the law. And there was some attendance in verses 4 and 7. Their names were there, who assisted the people afterwards in understanding what was read. It's good to read the scripture, to listen to it as well. But when you get the understanding of what the scripture is saying, it's even richer. Nowadays we can read at our leisure. Everybody has a Bible. I must have about five or six of them at home. But I always walk to the King James one in church. It's my favorite for reading. But I don't study from one Bible alone. Not in a day and age. You have to get different viewpoints and see where the scripture is saying. And so my friend, there were people who assisted them and expounded the word to them. Because there are some passages in the scripture that are easy, easily understood, and some are quite difficult. Some are quite difficult. And even the third point, which I'm going to bring up shortly, gave me some challenge. I'm going to come to it in a while. My friend, let us, let us Remember the value of what God has given to us. In Jesus' time, the scripture he knew was of the Old Testament only. Because there was no New Testament. The New Testament is about him and his life. And this was written and compiled after he had returned to heaven. So Jesus, I wouldn't say he didn't know the New Testament. I would say there was no New Testament. Just the Old Testament. And so today we have Old Testament and New Testament. Being that the Jews decry Jesus, they decry the New Testament as well. The scholars are aware of it. But they don't give it much credence. But God is going to give them a second chance. We have the Bible in our hands. We have it in the books. We used to take to school the New Testament. And at mornings at assembly, portions were read. All these things are dying out. And we have now the, the, the Bible on the internet. And in your little phone, a little tiny phone, have the whole Bible in it. So God is God to us. Read, mark, learn, and most of all, inwardly digest it. Inwardly digest it. Don't just read it and know it and recite it as a show. But let God's word become part of you and make your life richer and better so you can deal with the situations that arise in your life and help others as well. And so my friend, Jesus, he was familiar with the scriptures. Let us make an effort, therefore, to lodge essential parts of God's word in our own hearts and minds, even in our memories, 
Because sometimes in the battle of life, when the pressures come and we see consolation, one of the good sources is to take a Bible and read a chapter or a verse. I remember one time when my sister-in-law was ill, and Sandrine, that's my wife, those who don't know her, you know, she knows the Bible fairly well too. And Omer was suffering. And she said, tell me something to read to her. And I chose John chapter 17. What's that? Do you know what it is? Part of the high priestly prayer. Alright? Things like these you should know as a Christian. And so my friend, let us try to be familiar with God's word as Jesus was. But there is something else that happened in this section. And this is the part that gave me challenge. Gave me challenge because, you know, when I read the scripture and I don't understand or get the sense or the interpretation of a part, you know, I would call Father Fleming, um, Father Chris once in a while. I would go to my commentaries and I said, well, this still doesn't make sense. So last night I went to bed and I said, well, Lord, Jesus was in the temple, he taught. And the third point, which came after I, I really didn't sleep, actually, I can't sleep. And, um, and I read it again, and believe me, God clarified it. It says here in verse in verse 21, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen carefully. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? And so Jesus, he just read to them from Isaiah. And he probably, it seemed like he expounded to them a portion of the scripture. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Listen what happens. Verse 23. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now Jesus was in Nazareth where he had been brought up. But he lived here and the disciples lived in Capernaum. That's another town. So the people were saying, because you have done so many miracles in Capernaum where you live and reside, we want you also to do the same thing here in Nazareth. We want to complete it and we want to have more healing, more miracles than that. But listen, Jesus proceeded to tell them up in verse 25. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. And then you come to the next verse. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. What Jesus was telling them in short is that even though I come to Nazareth and work miracles, most of you are not going to believe. 
That's what he was telling them. Why? Because he gave the answer. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. So here am I in Nazareth. You want me to work miracles just like I do in Capernaum. More grandiose things. But you know what? Most of you are not going to believe. This is what Jesus is telling them. And so my friend, the third point is that Jesus was not only a frequent worshiper, he was not only familiar with the scriptures, but he was fortified for his ministry. He was fortified. There are times when people are going to praise you, and the next minute they're going to pull you down. The same people from the same town. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. In fact, they did it. Because it says, a prophet, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And so my friends, the word of God comes to you this morning. And you have to decide what weight you put on God's word. And having read this thing several times, having gone to my commentaries, I still didn't get the sense of it. This is why Nehemiah had those uh, assistants who explained to the people what the scripture meant. Because knowing the scripture, knowing where it is from, the meaning and the sense of it has to get into your heart. So that it becomes valuable to you. Knowing the book, the parts of the book, and the essential sections is one thing. But getting God's word to be engrafted in our hearts is another. And that is where we want to get to. The word must be in us, springing up and bringing life, sharing with others. And notice that when the people dis dispersed in Nehemiah, I'm going to read it for you as, as, as evidence. When the people dispersed, Nehemiah 8, verses 9 and 10. Make sure I have the correct chapter uh, in my 8 9 and 10 it says here when the make sure I have my chapter 8 right it says here and Nehemiah who was the governor Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn nor weep for all the people were when they heard the words of the Lord. The people were so hungry for God's word, they wept tears of joy. And the following verse 10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when we share with others God's word, when we share with them, maybe some food, maybe some clothing, maybe some money, maybe a ride in your car, maybe some advice on some matter, you are sharing the goodness that God has given to you. It gives you strength. It makes you a better person rather than keeping all the blessing to yourself or myself. So my friend, let us make it our business 
to share God's word. This is what Epiphany is about. It's about making an effort to share the word with other people. And so my friend, in, in conclusion, I want to reiterate to you that our Lord Jesus Christ, our exemplar, he was frequenting public worship. And private worship is good too. And I'm calling on fathers, especially the men in the house, get your children, gather around, and have a worship session at least once a week. And if you fail once a week, Lord, you can't do more than once a month. That's the poor. That's the poor man. Or even every other week. Gather your family around. Read the scripture. If you don't know how to explain it, just read it. Sing a hymn. Say some prayers. And your respect grows. Lead your family to God. That's why you're the head of the house. Beside making money and providing for the building and the food and the clothing, provide guidance. So fathers, stand up. Stand up for God. Stand up for your children. That's not the role of the wife. But if there's no husband, then she has to take on the role of a husband too. Lead your children towards God in acts of worship beside other things. In church or at home. And secondly, be reminded that not only was Jesus familiar, was, was, was not only Jesus frequent in the temple, but he was also familiar with the scriptures. Let us not slap but try to be familiar with God's holy word. And finally, Jesus was fortified. He was fortified for those who would praise him and adore him and say nice things about him. And for those who would call him Beelzebub. Because that's what happened, you know. If you read Matthew 12, um, Jesus cast up um, the, the demons from someone who was blind, dumb, and was possessed. Read Matthew 12. And the Pharisees said, how is it that Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? And Jesus said, you're stupid. That's craziness. How is Beelzebub going to cast out Beelzebub? His kingdom cannot stand. So it can't be that I cast out the demon by the power of Beelzebub. But this is what people were saying when they met. Is that the son of Joseph? That boy who grew up with a carpenter, a poor man, a portrait? How he knows so much? How he become so, um, what should I say, efferent? But you know, it was by the power of God. Because it says, Jesus came to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So my friend, when you are led by God, directed by God, you will also do wonders for God. And so today, Epiphany the third, may we be reminded that we have a responsibility to share God's word and to bring others to his kingdom. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us join in a moment of private, silent meditation that God may indeed make us better for
excellence than we are. Let us now offer our prayers to God, and we begin with the suffrages on page 42 or 44. The suffrage B on page 44. Show us your mercy, O Lord. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world. Lord, keep this nation under your care. Let your will be known upon earth. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten. Create in us clean hearts, O God. Calling for today on page 160, 161. Depends on if you have the golden book or third Sunday after the epiphany. Together, give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. Praise and reign with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, ever and ever. Today we thank God for the life and service of St. Paul and his companions, Timothy, Titus, and Luke himself sometimes. We also give God thanks for the life of St. John Chrysostom, Bishop and Theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas, priest and fair, and all the past servants of this parish who in their time on earth served God faithfully. And now we shall join in prayers by members of the congregation, first, second, and third. The first one, conversion of St. Paul, which we celebrate on Tuesday coming.
Prayer for the Diocese on page 79, number 13. Thank you. And now for the unity of the church. That's on page 200. Number 35 at the top, together. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for sending us tasks which demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments, failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on your Lord. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, 
for his rising to life again, which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your spirit, that we may know Christ and make him known, and through him at all times and in all places, may give thanks to you for all things. Amen. May God hear and receive our prayers. And so now we should join in the offertory hymn, hymn number 104.
There's a prayer which we can join in for the offering as well. It says prayer for the offering. Together. It's on the bulletin, yes, on page, the, the second page, bottom of the second page. We thank, together, we thank you for the many blessings which you have freely poured upon our lives, both families and communities. Accept and bless these gifts that we now offer to you. Take them with our lives and use them all to the honor and glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If there are any celebrants, they can stand in their places for our prayer. Any celebrants?
this week, next Sunday, I will be mass. I feel good at seven. Some mass followed by Sunday school immediately. Let's give thanks to all those who played a part in the service this morning. This time we wish you for the rest of the week a very truthful and safe week. Thank you very much. <coughs> 